Hello, and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 30, Hancock from 2008. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And with us today to bring on our superhero cast of Go... I don't even know how to describe it. Super friends, our super guests. Super friends. To bring on our super friends, we have two guests. First up, Dan Colon. Hello, Dan. Hey. Hey. And then second up, we have host of the Now and Again show and soon-to-be co-host of the upcoming run of Cinemakers, Chris Mattiello. Hello, Chris. Hello. I keep picking great movies to be on. You sure do. Although, as this movie comes out, or as this podcast comes out on Friday, June 22nd, yesterday, on the Boyfriend Material feed, we put out an episode of Only God Forgives, a movie that is actually great that you were on. So That is true. That is true. Uh, they're not all losers. No. Just sort of this one. I think it's only up from here. This is definitely a step up, I feel, for Dan. He he was last with us on our very final Keanu episode. Uh, the That movie... To with, the Bone. To the Bone, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, step up. Uh, I don't know that I would agree <laughs> with that necessarily. I think I got more out of To the Bone, but, you know, we can talk about that. This is a movie that has two versions out, which I did not know. There is the theatrical cut and the extended cut. I don't think I've ever seen the extended cut until today, mm-hmm. in which Hancock ejaculates so hard that he shoots holes in his trailer. <laughs> Three times. In the middle of the desert. Oh. Three different holes. So, okay, I didn't know what I was seeing. I guess I saw the extended cut. Mine was about an hour 45, hour 42. Mm-hmm. That's the extended cut. Yep, yeah, yep, the, yep. The super sperm cut. I would imagine that is different. I would imagine that the time that we see Hancock's ass is different, maybe? I think that's in... I remember that from from the original cut. I think it's a lot more F-words. I imagine... Are there more than one? I just remember the one where he's talking about McDonald's. I thought I heard a couple... I don't know. And then there was also, I would imagine, when the uh, in prison, the head up the ass feels no. sort of extended and gratuitous here. That's all in the original cut. Really? Yeah, I remember that very vividly. Very I was wondering if they were going to sneak in an extra shot or two because it was hard. It wasn't very clear when it happened. And then you see like that very last shot very quickly. Uh, yeah, so that was there as, as well. So based on something that Chris had messaged on Facebook before we started going, he said that this feels like the movie movie, not to take words out of your mouth, Chris, but this feels like a movie that the studio has meddled with. The most popular bit of trivia on IMDb says the original screenplay was much darker. Apart from being a lowlife, Hancock was supposed to be sexually frustrated because he couldn't have sex with a woman without killing her. The MPAA cleared a scene involving Hancock's explosive orgasm, but it was removed from the final cut because a test audience didn't find it funny. The tone was lightened considerably for a summer release, but the MPAA gave the film an R twice before language and violence cuts resulted in a PG-13. So what you said makes a lot of sense to me, because I think the biggest issue that this movie has, and if I had to guess, this probably comes down to two of the people who made this movie, um, Akiva Goldsman and Peter Berg, who I think are both hack frauds, that they don't understand what tone is, because this movie's tone is all over the place not just within yep. the first 15 minutes where it's the most evident, but that doesn't really stop throughout the entire movie. This never knows if it wants to be dark, if it wants to be a comedy, if it wants to, be, if it wants to have a commentary on like superheroes and race. There's nothing here that stays consistent for more than maybe five minutes, except for the fact that Charlize and Will Smith are really trying with very little. I agree. This movie is it's very frustrating. Um, this was like the... Th- 
second and a half time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I didn't really like what happens at like the 40 minute mark. And so the second time I watched it, I just kind of turned it off at that point. But this time I decided to give it a, another chance all the way through. I hear it just saying like it can't decide what it wants to talk about, but there's so many good chances in that first hour to really flesh this out and I feel like they could have just stuck with that but the studio fingers are very evident it feels like oh he can't be the only character with superpowers in this movie like you got to be out of your mind like no one just wants to watch a movie about a reformed superhero and it's like well I do Uh, I think that might be what Vince Gillian was sort of starting to try to get at with this character Uh, but yeah it's unfortunate to me that it just kind of falls apart Part. like it's it, I feel like it starts super strong it maintains for a while and then it just falls downhill I definitely agree that um, I think the, the best stuff in this movie is is uh, that darker material and I have to I have to wonder what that original script looked like um, I did some reading and at least what IMDB told me is that Vince Gilligan got that whatever whatever that first draft was and did some some rewrites and 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 like i refuse to believe that the creator of breaking bad was responsible for this ejaculation scene that just makes no sense to me (laughs) but he did work for x-files so i get the i get the idea of him working on this project you know like the whole and the stuff that i see that i like again i have to believe it was vince gilligan was that sort of darker serious stuff like there's some legitimately uh, emotional beats in this movie that i really love um like you can see how how hancock is miserable and you know he hates his life and you know i feel for him in a lot of in, in a lot of those scenes and i think part of it is in large part thanks to will smith doing as much as he can with this material which is not totally great but yeah i think that if they had gone down that road and and made that serious movie made it an r-rated movie it would have been a kind of a pretty incredible uh, take on the superhero genre, but instead you've got guys like Peter Berg directing it, who, you know, he's... I don't even know what to say about that. Like, there's all these kind of waffling back and forth between jokes and, and serious and jokes and serious. I didn't, I didn't know how to feel about most of it. I think it was pretty uneven in a bad way. But I did like some of the stuff that was in there. I just wish they had kept going with that stuff. I feel like one of the main things he's just trying to do is to keep it cool. Like, is it cool? Is this being, is this cool? Is he cool? Yes. Is the sequence cool? And like, that's troubling when all he's kind of concerned about is that. But I mean, for me, a lot of that is actually working. I agree, like, it's completely uneven and stuff, but, like, when it's working, I really like what it's doing. Right, but it's almost like Peter Berg is like, okay, this is getting a little sappy, let's throw a dick joke in there. You know, like, he can't can't allow the movie to develop because he just wants to get to the punchline. He wants to get to the, you know, the silly stuff too fast. And as a result, that really good material... You know, it has no substance left anymore. What I think is really remarkable about this is how short it is. Yes. Like, the fact that there's a superhero movie that theatrically was 92 minutes is insane to me in an era of, you know, two-hour and 40-minute superhero movies. Like, I'm not saying that this movie should be that long, but the fact that I looked at the back of this, and even, like, the extended cut or the unrated cut or whatever they called it was an hour 40 and not two hours. I was like, like, where is the stuff? Because I feel like whenever you have a movie like this that has such spectacular, visually spectacular elements, like the opening scene, like the train scene, like the fight between Will Smith and Charlize, you're going to need more time to flesh people out. And, like, that's just not here. And I feel like it's strange that they want to tell an emotional story, like you were saying, but they don't afford it the time. And, like, I feel like you could make a two-hour movie out of this and make it a better movie than this. Like, I don't think this is bad. 
I think, you know, like Chris was saying, I think like Dan was saying, you know, it's, it's unfocused, but I feel like it could be better and it could analyze this type of, like, fallen hero, and it just doesn't do it. Yeah, I think with an extra, like, 30 minutes and a really good overhaul of that third act, it could have been decent. Uh, I think part of the problem in that third act, there's no real villain, so it kind of ends where... Like, I was happy that it was 90 minutes because, you know, when I realized where the movie was going after that, what, 45-minute turn, 50-minute turn, I thought, all right, well, I don't love this, so let's get it over with, you know? And then I realized that the villain that they've sort of cultivated sucks, and I didn't really care about seeing more of that person, and it ended just about when I was ready to check out anyway. But you're right. I think with an extra 30 minutes and a really good villain in the final act, could have been perfectly fine. I actually want to defend this and perhaps even rationalize this film. You know, we are all, I assume, I don't know you very well, Dan, but I think we are all here maybe fans of, like, the bad movie that's secretly good, you know, like your The Rooms or uh, also from this year, The Happening. And For sure. I think this might be a good movie that's secretly bad. <laughs> so, like, kind of like the inverse of that. And I think some of that comes from, or some of my feelings in that regard, comes from the fact that I think this movie is slightly ahead of its time. Because you have to realize that we are in the age of the original X-Men trilogy, Spider-Man trilogy. Those are the big yep. superhero movies of the time. Yep. We are not at that two and a half hour blockbuster, I guess they're all kind of blockbusters, but the Avengers kind of things where... Yeah, there's no MCU yet, yeah. I think if this movie was written two or three years later, when we have these big, extended, ever-expanding universes, and when we have... Because the big thing in this movie is the repercussions of what superheroes do to their communities, which is mostly smash them up. We hadn't really had a movie where the entire third act is like a city undergoing six 9-11s at the same time. And I think if we had seen those right. things, this movie, maybe it wouldn't have been, maybe it would have been actually more focused because maybe the producers would have had a better grasp and idea and vision, no pun intended, of where the writer was coming from. And the writer too would have had more to pull from instead of, just those kind of early superhero movies that we kind of can look back at now and be like, this was the test run for what we are currently undergoing. Yeah, because yeah. like, this isn't like really like a meta superhero story, but it's kind of like a subversion of it. And you're right, there's not enough out there at this time to really play off. Like, this is the same year, I think, as the first Iron Man. But the first Iron Man is a far cry from, like, Avengers yeah. or then the whole DCEU. Because, like, this is Zod versus Superman. Like, at the end, like, it's them tearing through windows. Or it is Ultron or Civil War or whatever, where, you know, Scarlet Witch is dealing with the repercussions of, like, killing lots of civilians. And yeah. you sort of see those shots here, and they, they kind of... It's like they want to tell that story and want to have reactions to it, but they don't actually have the film language or the, mm. you know, the audiences don't have the understanding to, like, really know what they're seeing. Yeah. That all said, this movie cost $150 million to make and made almost or over 600 worldwide. So I think that's probably based on the Will Smith star power alone, but it's not like this was, like, a bomb. Like, this was a mm. very successful movie that up until about a year ago, at least, they were planning on doing a second one. And I don't know if Will Smith is going to be in it, but he was going to produce it. So, like, it's ahead of its time, but still radically successful, mm -hmm. and still to the point where, like, they're talking about doing another one. Yeah. I totally felt that, too, rewatching it this time. I was like, this actually feels kind of fresh for a take on a superhero movie. Like, I do think it kind of came into the public awareness too soon, because now 
collateral damage is sort of like an old trope. It's like, all right, obviously. But like back then, it wasn't even, no one really cared. You know, it wasn't it's like the X-Men were never held accountable in any of their films, so it never was an issue. And then the idea of Will Smith being like a black superhero, you know, now with Black Panther and everything, and I think only Blade had been around before this, I just feel like that was a very strong commentary that wasn't very well fleshed out in the film and could have dominated a lot more of the time here. And then also just Will Smith as a person, as an, like an actor, and the roles he was taking and stuff like this is way against type for will smith being an asshole you know and like really rubbing it in and laying it on thick and all that stuff there is a lot of like newness here that still feels original and if this came out today i think they may have had a way to make it work right like this definitely gets bogged down with too many ideas you know if i was going to do one of my famous rewrites he would he would go to jail a lot later in the movie and he would get out of jail a lot later in the movie and and it would be a lot more about reform and addiction and, and what happens when you're a hero and you're susceptible to that and culpable for your actions and it's just unfortunate because that's the movie i really wanted and then I was accepting what I was getting because of the times and then um, for me I think the Charlize turn is where I just kind of I still have trouble going with this movie I just feel like that's very clunky so I just yeah it, it, I agree with you guys like it does feel ahead of its time and that's an absolute shame especially for what we're doing here that she just feels so shoehorned in that apparently they are based after zeus and hera that they are both sister and brother and husband and wife and there's all these other gods and everything i can see that so hancock's symbol of the eagle appears to identify him as the greek god zeus that would make mary hera according to greek mythology zeus and hera were not only husband and wife but also brother and sister. According to the Iliad, Zeus is stronger than all the other gods of Olympus combined. He tells them he could dangle them all from the heights of Olympus on a rope held in one hand. None of them could do the same to him. Mary claims she's stronger than Hancock, but Hancock is clearly stronger than her. For instance, he, he survives being shot over and over while still being strong enough to get away from her in the hospital. Mary says that Hancock was different from the rest of the gods and he was meant to be a hero. She can, like, conjure up tornadoes and stuff, though, right? And, like, increase the heat in the room. So she's got... Yeah. It seems like she's got other powers, or that was the idea. She has powers. Yeah. But it just feels like that's too little too late. And yes, I, I, too I, much I think too you said late. something earlier, Mike. It's like, they can't just do this story about superhero reform or just a, a world with one superhero, that they need this other twist on it, which is fine, but it's not fleshed out enough. It's just... What's interesting to me, though, is that I remembered that she had powers. I didn't remember her relationship to Will Smith, which I think is understandable considering it's both brother, sister, and husband, wife, which is strange. Like, you remember one or the other, probably. I remembered that she knew who he was, so the whole movie, it's so over the top with, like, the glances that she puts towards him, like, the camera angles on her. Watching it sort of knowing what's coming, you can see that she's more involved, but for the most part, especially for what we're doing here today, it's really underwhelming and disappointing how she, how little she's used. And also, to top it off there, there's like no other women in this movie at all. It's really just about Hancock and Jason Bateman, and then she's just there because they need like a third act thing to happen. Literally no other women. I think I think maybe the, the news reporter, and that is it. And a nurse, yeah. yeah. That's it. Like, I mean, he saves else. a cop. 
a female cop. Oh, right, yeah. You know, may I touch you? And she's just, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and, and by the time her character matters, she hasn't barely been developed enough for anyone to care. And I think that's one of the more frustrating things about her overall in this movie. Yeah, they're, like, setting her up well. Like, there's a mystery with her. Like, at first, you're like, she just hates Hancock because he's a dick, right? And then, little by little, you're like, no, there's something more. Does she like Hancock? What's going on? And I was down for that. I was like, oh, there's, like, a mystery here. The answer just... It's just like, no, like, I just felt it was like the easiest answer in the world. Well, it like simultaneously came out of left field and then just felt like so easy. I don't know. I still have trouble accepting it the second time. Like, I'm cool that there's like a big throwdown fight and stuff. But like, yeah, I don't like how we're getting here. I, I almost wish she had been revealed as the villain of the movie. Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I, I would have preferred that. Like, oh, we're, we've been fighting for, for centuries, you know, like you're just now realizing who I am and we're going to do it again. That would have been the more interesting second half for me, although I don't think that's perfect by any means. But I would have been happier with that than whatever bullshit they they wrote into this movie. And and if they wanted to go the Zeus and Hera route, I think I, I think it's pretty clunky to sort of attach Greek mythology to a superhero movie. But whatever, if we're going to go down that road, then they needed to be less subtle about it because that imagery. I mean, I can see it when you tell me after the fact, but it's nowhere to be found in the movie. That turn uh, in the middle just makes absolutely no sense. Well, what's also super weird is that the movie almost introduces her powers as though she's going to be a villain. That's what I mean, That, like, yeah. they get back from dinner. Like, because, like, it's like the movie wants it to happen, right, Dan? Because it's like, they get back from dinner, and Jason Bateman's drunk, and he goes and passes out upstairs, and then Will Smith comes downstairs, and they sort of kiss, and then she throws him out of the house. It's like, oh, here it comes, they're going to fight. And they do fight, but it's like, no, this is just what we do. We can't be together because then we get weak. And it's like, oh, that seems strange. Like, the movie brings them together. It's like, hey, guess what? We can't be together. And then the movie brings them apart, and that's the end of the movie. Like, it's like, what's the yeah, point of that? They, right. I mean, and this is, this is a larger problem with the movie. I think this is sort of the main problem with the movie. They're trying to do a lot of things at once without really committing to any of them as much as they need to. They have these great ideas or some of them not so great, but they have all these ideas. They're like all half-assed, all of them. And nothing ever feels like it belongs in this movie because none of these moments are earned. The, the twist happens and then, okay, we're just supposed to go along with it because the movie needs to go somewhere because without that moment, I don't know where this movie's headed. It, there's no villain being set up. There's there's nothing. Charlize's twist happens and we think she's going to be the villain. She's not the villain. Okay, so then this other character who's in the movie for five minutes is the villain. They're the bank robber. It's the, <laughs> it's the worst it's villain. Bad. It's like, oh, this guy who just is happens to be the bad guy who's doing the crime that Hancock comes out of prison to stop is suddenly the big bad and like he's got this like revenge plan it's like why why yeah everything felt really half-baked every every decision it was really bad it was i mean if we're going back to movies from this time it would be like if toad ended up being the big bad of the first x-men movie it's just like a major (laughs) wet fart you're seeing these people with all of these powers and they have to contrive this way and I get that it works in the plot I I actually do like the idea behind this that when you put them together they become kind of normal what ends up happening is that all of the tension in the third act it's either extremely shoehorned or you see exactly what the only possible outcome can be or both in this case it is both and the entire third act though it, it, it is hitting emotional beats and I think they work in spite of the script due to Smith and Theron. It's so ham-fisted. So, so ham-fisted. Yeah, I actually 
Uh, I actually don't like that idea for superpowers, like the idea of like the coupling thing where like there was lots of us and then slowly like two would be drawn together and then they'd lose their powers and die. It's like, uh, I don't know if that's like, then what was the point of them and like i don't know i feel like there would be more out there i don't feel like it's just wonky to me again like dan was saying earlier there's just a lot of half-baked cookies being passed around this table and i'm someone who likes when movies don't go deeper into the mythology and like they kind of just let you fill in the blanks but this is something that i think needed a little bit more time to cook Especially even even the throwaway line like when you're immortal for this long you just kind of want to be in love and like just die with the person that you love or just something there's a throwaway line about why that that happens could have set set yeah. that universe up so much better. They try and do the thing with like the Frankenstein tickets, Ugh. you know, where it's like he's got this relic, he doesn't understand it, and then she's like, Oh yeah, eighty years ago we were accosted because we were like a mixed couple on the street. I was like, Whoa, well what that was what happened? Like I don't know. It, yep. it, it, it compared to everything they've been through, the idea that he got accosted on the street and she was scared to be with him again. It's just, I'm okay that there was an incident, but I was like, that's the incident? And then one other, th- this is such a small little thing, but I guess I'm at the point in my notes. Um, 80 years ago, they asked him for his John Hancock. Was that a saying back then? Like, I feel like we weren't too well, far. Well, John Hancock signed the, the declaration really big, right? So Yeah, I guess in the 1930s, like, they'd be like, yeah. all right, I wasn't sure. I just kind of thought that might have been a little before its time as a saying or not. I don't know, but I don't know. Again, like, I, I just wish that was a little smoother. I wish he was just like, we were on the edge of Mount Vesuvius the last time I saw you when it erupted or something crazy. What frustrates me about this movie is that even things that I like comparisons between the two like the fact that he says you know call me an asshole one more time and she says call me crazy one more time like they have these things that are like like i i mean those are sort of like maybe corny and ham-faced or whatever but i like those especially like when she said that because it's like oh because he's been saying it all movie and i like that there but i'm sort of frustrated that there's not more of that that we just don't have the time to see the comparisons between the two because like she shows her powers and then they're essentially rendered moot it's just there's not enough time to explore what she is and how they interact with one another it just feels more about Jason Bateman coming kind of coming to terms with it like it's just it's strange what they choose to focus on or not focus on I actually quite like that thread with Jason Bateman like I think that that to me is a funny movie is the idea of a superhero who gets like an agent and is trying to remake his public image and stuff like like that's enough for a movie you know, like I feel like that's plenty. Like, let's just go with that. Let's just have Hancock go from asshole to hero, and like let let it take ninety minutes, and the jail sequence will be much longer. <laughs> It'll be the whole second act or something. It's just too bad that you know. I just don't think that as an audience, and then you know, as a as like a, it's like an industry. Just that is not what people want from superhero films when they hear that i mean it's we just recently got stuff like logan you know last year you know and like we're finally after two decades of this type of stuff like getting to the grit and bone of it and everything so again like yeah i i want this to be better but i'm I'm, I'm at least glad it exists in the in some form you know in some way there's this is here as a template to say there's a lot more that we could still be talking about through this genre yeah, I'm surprised that people haven't tried to not remake this, but make movies like this. Like, today's version of the anti-hero or the anti-superhero or whatever is like Deadpool, which is not at all this. No, this is more like 
Batman-ish. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Batman needs a public image overhaul. Like, that's just off the top of my head. Like, he just seems like more of that type of attitude, just a grisly, you know, out-of-my-face, you know, cameras type of guy. Uh, except Hancock's issue is he's got Superman's gifts. So, like, he has more of, like, a responsibility just based on his power set, I guess. Like, Batman can go hide in the dark, but Superman really needs to, like, talk to little eight-year-olds about their blogs and stuff. Uh, after he rescues people from a fire. That's what interested me more was him relating or like learning how to relate to us normies. Not Batman, but I was thinking of uh, Jessica Jones. He's She's probably the most, oh. the, the best modern uh, analog to, to Hancock that I've seen. And I think that they, on that show, they've found the perfect way to tell that story of a person who has superpowers, who is an asshole, who drinks and uh, is really not generally liked by a lot of people. You know, it's pretty much the same kind of thing, but they found a way to do it on that show. So I think, I think that's, they, they've, they've found the way to do it. And I don't know that Hancock was necessarily in their mind when they were putting that together. That, I know that show is uh, crazy successful, so I know people are interested in that type of story. Jessica Jones is a great modern example, and that's actually something I'm kind of mad I didn't think of myself. When I was watching it, um, just because he was inspired by something from the past. I felt like I was watching two Dr. Manhattans try to be normal people. A, a very modern kind of pop take on Watchmen is almost what I was imagining uh, Vince Gilligan was writing when uh, whatever the first draft of this was before it got into Akiva Golden's hands, essentially. It also kind of reminded me of like a lot of what like Mark Millar's doing. Like He invented Kick-Ass, and his line of comics are just... They're really pushes boundaries i guess you know his heroes are not very heroic for the most part i guess and a lot of it just deals with more real world repercussions and things but i don't know i just this this felt like it would have it could work as like a comic book series you know like especially next to something like kick-ass on the shelf or books along like that line you know not necessarily the marvel dc books but like the image comics or something else like that so i feel like some of the jokes that don't land in real life like the head up the ass or um, all of his dialogue in the car with the uh, Asian getaway car, the worst French joke in the history of film. I never thought there'd be a worse French joke than, like, the French waiter, but the, the French kid named Michel who keeps calling him an asshole, like, was the worst, literally <laughs> the most unfunny thing I might have ever seen in a film. Um, but I think all of that would actually tonally work in like a in a Millar-esque or like a Miller-esque wanted or kick-ass kind of comic book. I think you're exactly right. That brings me to a point. Not at all what you were saying, so I apologize for completely dis derailing your very valid oh, point and worthwhile talking about point. How do we live in a world where no one takes Hancock seriously? Well, he must have done so... Well, we get like little clips of his YouTube antics, you know? Like, he's probably been doing shit for fucking I, years. I maybe, years. I, maybe, maybe I misspoke. How do people not know that he's going to fuck their shit up for calling him an ass? Like, why would you taunt Hancock, a deranged, unhinged, <laughs> violent, like, superhuman? Yeah. When there's a choice of whether they're going to taunt him or walk away, 100% of the time, like three or four times in this movie, they call his bluff. And what does he do? He throws Michelle straight in the air, he shoves a guy's head in another guy's ass time and time again slices a guy's hand off like a sharpened razor blade people do not respect that he will mess them up like why because it's clear he's got a track record he will hurt you why does no one in this world like why is no one in this world smart enough 
to respect that element of it? I think that's a terrific question and one that they could have addressed if they had pushed a couple other less interesting things to the side. Like, that would have been a great first act. You know, just like, if you see Hancock on the street, do not approach. Do not call him an asshole. Like, he is basically one step away from ruling us. So just let him live at the bottom of a bottle for most of his life because we're really lucky right now that he's not out there, like, killing all of us. Because they go to prison and everyone in prison knows him because he put them all there and yet they still taunt him. Like, <laughs> that why? That like, reeked of rewrite, kind of. Like, the movie never seems to know if Yes. Hancock was like this urban legend or if he was like just a, a pop culture icon. What was he Batman or was he Iron Man? The movie never really decided and wanted him to be both at the same time, which just made this universe nonsensical more often than not. Yeah, it's what makes a guy with one hand think that he could kill Hancock by shooting him in the stomach at the end in the hospital. You know, like, this world is just filled with deranged people, I guess. Uh, That guy doesn't know that he's, like, got his kryptonite there, essentially. That guy just basically is going on a death march. Yeah. He he just gets lucky. That's the thing, like, I like the the stuff I like in prison is, like, him in group session, you know, when they're like, come on, Hancock, like, come on, open up, Hancock. You know, like, those are guys, that's, like, actual support, and they're treating him like normal, like a guy, and, like, he's never been treated like that. But then you get him doing trick shots with basketball how are they not just like clapping and entertain like they're giving him the they're finger upset by it yeah. yeah it's kind of backwards i don't get it we needed some moments of like all of the gangs trying to recruit him like a moment where like the white supremacists come up to him and they're like i mean do you want to be one of us i feel like you could be one of us like <laughs> something like that where where everyone wants in or more moments the moments in jail i liked were the, all the ones where he was just like i could walk out of here at any moment but i'm doing this for all of you for the benefit of literally all humanity the idea fucking the government would have had a Mulder and scully find hancock yeah. years ago and put him on a fucking autopsy slab <laughs> like the fact that he's just there is so weird well i it's kind of funny that he just goes to like central booking and he's on the same bus as he doesn't go to like the ice brig and can like they don't put him in like weapon x prison or anything like there's right. no superhero restraints he's just roaming free he's going to fucking like magnet floor face-off jail or into like a into demolition man cryo tubes like it's it's so weird that the world is just like yeah we have gods but like we don't really care and like most people don't know he's real what i don't know like it just doesn't try yeah there's zero contingency and he's apparently been around you know thousand three thousand years they say so there had to have been like there's real there's evidence of him yeah Yeah. so it's it's craziness but i don't know maybe they were trying to use that as like the comedy angle you know like since the jokes don't land like maybe that tone will land and like the oddity of that makes people laugh a little like it's because it is strange for everyone just like after he saved jason bateman and they're like fuck you hancock and he's just like what man they're like you should have gone up with the car and he's like I, I don't know man he's just like not smart that just is an example of like that there's too many different kinds of like hu- too many different kinds of humor that, like, they try, like, every type of joke once. Like, at the mm-hmm. end of the movie, Jason Bateman cuts the guy's other hand off. He's like, really? And then they just kills him there. Like, there's just all these, like, they're single. Like, it's trying to hit every type of humor, every type of genre, every type of emotion. And it's just like, why not focus on one? Figure out what you're good at and just sort of double down on that instead of, like, throwing everything at the wall and not seeing what sticks, just, like, leaving it all on the wall and then just putting the movie out. 
I also want to say that we are so hypercritical of this movie, but it's still my 11th favorite Charlize movie of 29 so far. Like, this is devastating to the caliber of what Watch the Throne has become. That there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming between now and the end. The fact that we're this critical, I mean, I think we're this critical because it's a movie that could be good, that should be good, that almost is good, and it's also anchored by one of the most charming lead performances. Like, Will Smith is incredible in this movie, and it doesn't matter because nothing around him has anything to work with. Maybe Jason Bateman a little bit. But this is like upper third Charlize so far, and yet it's not good. And she has nothing to do. That's the thing, is that it's a good movie without her. Like, you know what I'm saying? Or it's like, she's just not part of it. And that's the bummer, is that she's not even in one of the more watchable movies that she's in. And that is super frustrating for this journey. Well, Joey's number two movie for Charlize is That Thing You Do, which she is only in the director's cut or whatever, so. Well, she's in like 40 minutes of the director's cut. That's also, my my lists don't really make sense, so that's gonna gonna tumble. That's gonna take a tumble. But she's not in The Devil's Advocate very much either and that's my number one right now like you know my favorite movie that she's in a lot of hers is waking up in reno like okay do we want to just quickly address the the one thing i'm surprised that it's taken this long to mention which is the camera work in this movie and why he went so like cinema verite with it like it's it's literally like it's worse than a jason bourne movie can be like those movies can really test my limits when it comes to shaky cam this one is like off the chain it's obnoxious it's a, a board scene a boardroom scene should not look like the chase from a born movie no and, and I, I think the point of it was to sort of give it that sort of news camera kind of look like they were seeing these i don't know these events happen like we're watching them on the news but i, I, I agree it doesn't it doesn't really work for much of this movie oh, yeah, i feel like he was more trying to be like you're the guy standing on the street corner like whipping your head around trying to get a glimpse of like what's happening or something like that but whatever it is if this was just shot more traditionally some shots with a you know tripod or something i wonder if that maybe they were just on like a time thing and so they were just like forget it we're just doing it all handheld and stuff conversely i think i would have been more um accepting of the the cinematography if the tone of the movie had been more serious I still don't think it's great, but I think that would have helped if that makes sense, because it would have been more grounded in reality, less jokey, uh, and the choice would have at least made sense to have a shakier cam. As as is, it kind of stands as one more decision that was half-assed like the rest. Yeah, It reminded me of a good version of this um, called Chronicle. Yeah. Oh, bit. yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. thought, you know, when you mentioned that before, I thought Chronicle too. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, see, and, and Chronicle is less jokey. You know, that's sort of a real grounded in reality look at, yep. at high school life. Plus, oh, shit, I have superpowers, you know? It's not a comedy. And so the shakiness works. Also, I mean... It, Chronicle's a little bit unfair of a comparison because they did find a way to write in um, crane shots. You know, he can he can float the camera around the room. So okay, now we can use a crane or a jib in these in this movie. So it's not so shaky. But still, I, I, I get what you're saying. I have a few other sort of roundup things, little other Charlize Nections, Theronections. This is our second Will Smith Charlize Theron team up, Mike. This is also, you know, Legend of Bagger Vance. Mm-hmm. The two of them were in the same movie together. It's also the second Bateman Charlie's team up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the second also time that Chris has been in an episode yeah. with Jason Bateman and Charlie Starin together. So that's cool. I'm really happy that uh, Michael Bluth got to uh, date both the uh, lowest 
of the Charlizes and the highest of the Charlizes, like an MRF <laughs> and a super I don't goddess. think she's ever a god again, yeah. so this is pretty cool. We also, once again, have Charlize as a mom, although she's a stepmom here, which I think is sort of new mm-hmm. ground for her, so that's interesting. We have two different Friday Night Lights connections. We have the kid, their kid plays uh, the son... Did any of you see Friday Night Lights or no, the show? Uh, no, I've seen the movie. Not no. The show. How do I describe... How do I bring an entire world... Okay, so there is the <laughs> uh, fullback, is this guy Tim Riggins, who is Taylor Kitsch, and he's the coolest guy in the show. He has a relationship with an older woman who has a son who is played by the same actor who plays the son in this movie. And then in the beginning of the movie, I think maybe Jason Bateman's boss is the main booster in the town Buddy Garrity who runs this car dealership whose daughter Lila is a cheerleader for the football team and sort of dates Tim Riggins at one point. Two different Friday Night Lights connections to this. I thought that was cool. I was sort of hoping any of you would have any idea what I'm talking about. But maybe <laughs> somewhere out there will know, but that's that. And then my last little bit of note was that there was a list that this feels like the most generic leading Hollywood man list plus one, which is really interesting to me, of people who were considered for this role. So it was George Clooney, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio. I hate all of that. The list, yeah. But also considered for the lead role, which would have been amazing. Wesley Snipes. Dave Chappelle. Oh, Dave Chappelle's really good. Oh, okay. I could have seen that, yeah. Especially with, like, his image at the time, because that was, like, right after Chappelle's show, right? So it would have yep. kind of been a big comeback thing. Speaking of yep. Comedy Central, it was weird having Thomas Lennon just be a guy yeah. for a second. And this is yeah. at the end of Reno yeah. 911, too. Like, he's established as a, maybe not a name, but as at least, like, a pretty well-known comedian. I actually wonder if he's there, and uh, because I wonder if he did a little, like, script doctoring to this, because, like, he is a big-time successful comedy film writer. Yes. Like, he did, like, yep. all those the museum movies with, like, oh. Ben Stiller. Yeah, his resume is really deep. He even put out, a, he, he and Ben Garant wrote a book about how, like, mm-hmm. how to write Hollywood films and make money, and you can do it, too, or whatever. It's like this, like, instructional, like, screenwriting guide. So, yeah, they're they're pretty well known in terms of the, the, the script doctor and screenwriting world. What was weird to me, though, is that in this movie and in the Reno 911 movie, there's a whale joke. I think in the Reno 911 movie, it's beached, and he, like, goes up to him, puts his hand on it, and ends up, like, going inside side like the whale because it's been like frying on the beach or something yeah. and then in this one Hancock like literally like throws a beached whale back into the ocean and it hits a schooner or something well that's all the notes that I have about this uh we'll start with Dan Danny anything else to say about Hancock not really I just I wish they had figured out a direction for this movie and and stuck with it because again there's there's stuff in it that I think is really good some conceptual stuff that I think could have really worked but unfortunately they they didn't choose a path they just have these fragments of ideas that make the whole and none of them work as well as they could or should but i think that uh you know will smith and charlize and jason bateman do the best they can with this material and they are the reason to watch it because i do enjoy their chemistry together so i mean they do the best they can with this yep weak material that is for sure chris anything else to say about hancock well i mean if you're looking for a movie from 2008 where the male lead is a supernatural kind of character with a lots of powers and he falls in love with the person who makes him weak uh, and makes uh, him want to die every time he's around her. Is it Wally? 
then just watch Twilight. Or Wally. You know, I still haven't seen Wally. Oh, get on that Wally I know, train. Yeah. Wally's great. I'm also time. looking at other movies. Also, that year, Let the Right One In. Hey. I'm just looking for movies that sort of, kind of, sort of adhere to your description of what you just said. It's just weird that there's more than one. Yeah. It sucks that there's not more to talk about with this movie. Um, I feel like it kind of falls into that category we talk about a lot on uh, Now and Again, where you can talk about the really bad ones and the really good ones. But the stuff yep. that's just kind of in the middle is more frustrating than anything else. Yeah. And it's almost hard to talk about unless you're just going to go into what you would have done, like your own fanfic, and that's just not that interesting. Right. And Mike, any other last thoughts about Hancock? I really feel like there's a lot of good stuff there in it, but it's just not at the surface. Like, it's just not what they're focusing on. Yeah, I mean, I like it more than I did like it 10 years ago. Like, I think it plays better now, but I think it could still play way better. There's lots of really interesting ideas here. They're just not entirely fleshed out. So yeah, basically what Dan was saying, and, and again, what Chris was saying, I just I second all that. Well, before we move on to our game, Mike, we have a new email from Angelica Frattini from oh, Rome sweet. again. She wrote Thank in again. You. She says, so guys, I don't know. Actually, Chris was on the last episode. We read this. So Dan, you might not know that we have a woman, of Fran, a fan in Italy, in Rome, named Angelica, who liked our episodes and also wanted to let us know about Stuart, Ta- Stuart Townsend, uh, yes. Mike's least favorite man on the planet. <laughs> oh, no, my least favorite actor. Let's be clear. Sure, I okay. don't know him as a person. I'm sure he's perfectly fine as a guy. Sure, and a guy that my subconscious knew a shocking amount about for some reason. Truly. <laughs> yes, which I now know way too much. So she says, Hi guys, thank you for your kind words, and I'm glad that information has been of interest for you. So how could I resist right to you again? Okay, I confess, I liked waking up in Reno. So, yes. I totally <laughs> agree with Joey. Clearly, it isn't even close to be a good movie. It just gave me some good laughs, especially the fight between Charlize and Natasha Richardson. It's that kind of silly movie that I have no problem to watch again on TV to spend a couple of hours. Sorry, Mike. Hope you can forgive me. Forgiven. Then she writes in parentheses, Oh, by the way, Mike, if you have problems with drinking and smoking in movies, wait for Atomic Blonde. And then she was a little uh, emoji with the tongue sticking out. Oh, no, just just drinking and smoking when you're pregnant. That's all. That was all. <laughs> I partially don't agree about North Country. I don't agree most of all about what you said about the two big moments, the union meeting and in the courtroom. I think they have to be from the two men and not from Josie. In that environment, dominated by men and male chauvinists, wouldn't it wouldn't be credible to come from a woman. They would never listen to a woman. Josie is strong because she is not afraid to show her weakness. And when in the courtroom the women stand up, they do so in silence. She has won her battle not fighting like men. Of course, it's just her personal, personal, personal opinion, which I think oh, is valid. Okay, absolutely. I still think I wish that there was more from her, but I also totally, totally get where Angelica's coming from. I have some questions. You're both movie experts, and if I understood well, you studied that movie school. I did not. Mike did. I was just around. Mm-hmm. I was going to journalism school, which was a dumb idea, but, you know. You studied at the movie school of Hard Knocks. My idea wasn't all that much better. (laughs) I wonder, can you still watch a movie simply as a spectator, or if you you had to analyze them scene by scene? And do you think that watching a movie in a movie theater with other spectators would give you a different feeling? Would it maybe change your opinion about certain movies? I think so, absolutely. I think there's certain movies that play better with a crowd. I do like watching movies on my own. Like, when I saw The Disaster Artist, which we talked about on Zack Attack with Chris, I saw it in theaters and people were cracking up. I'm like, this feels like a sad, dramatic movie. And if I was home, I would I would maybe be crying? But here I'm like, oh, people are laughing. Like, I guess it's supposed to be funny. Yeah, I was, I was just at uh, Hereditary this weekend, and I feel like that 
definitely played really well with a crowd. Like, I like that vibe. Like, I definitely think it's a different feeling, you know, when you're in a room full of people as opposed to, like, just watching it in in your own room alone. But, like, you know, I do try to get to the movies once a week because I do like that sort of communal viewing thing and like I like to see how other people react at certain times as well as far as like the analyzing a movie thing I really feel like I gotta turn that on to be honest like it's most of the time I'm just watching movies and you know not really thinking about like what is this what is that like I just kind of just enjoy movies and then when we do like the show and stuff and I watch movies for podcasts I really feel like I've got to flip the switch and turn on like the analytical brain and like sit down with the notes and then be like okay what's the camera like what's the music like what is, what's, yeah, I would, what's I would much on? rather not take notes during a movie like that, that that's that's <laughs> the goal I don't really not not that I'm a part of this podcast but I'm inserting myself into this answer hi uh, Angelica is that that's her name hello Angelica good to good to hear from you again <laughs> I feel like everyone's analyzing movies even if they're not actively doing it their brain is like I don't think you, when you were talking, your great analysis about that courtroom scene from that movie I've never seen, looking at it from this kind of feminist perspective, I don't, I don't think you set out to be like, how do I read this that way, right? It just, it just kind of happened. And, and good movies and movies that engage with you make you think about it in a way beyond like what happened when you saw Jurassic World, where you just left that and you went, I just saw computers fighting each other for two hours. A good a good film will will engage with you versus you engaging with it. I think I think that's that's why we go to film. Agreed. Is that the uh, is that the whole letter there? Is that the end? That oh great... no, she says uh, thank oh. you again for the podcast. Always a pleasure. To listen to it. Ciao, Angelica. P.S. Sorry for my English, which is stunning. It's fine. P.P.S. Maybe you enjoy another more information about our friend Stuart Townsend. I'm sure Mike will love it. He he he. <laughs> Townsend was cast for Lord of the Rings in the part of Aragorn. Oh, he did no way. two months of training and two days of shooting before the director fired him and called Viggo Mortensen. That's the, the official dude. reason was it was an error to cast such a young actor. Unofficial reason, this is not an email. Uh, maybe he's just a terrible actor. Dude, I can't believe he was arrogant. I, cause yeah, I heard that whole Viggo Mortensen, like that was his huge break. They're like, Hey, can you come to Australia tomorrow? And he's like, sure. And they're like, here, hold this sword. Do that. You know, you're the king or whatever. Like, I can't believe it was going to be Stuart Townsend. They yep. had no idea what they were doing. Today. <laughs> Could you imagine being like Stuart Townsend or, uh, Eric Stoltz who shot like, well, like 10% of back to the future before he was replaced with Michael J. Fox. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do you not quit acting? that day that is brutal townsend might have i think that might have put the final nail in his coffin or something but like that is oof, man and i love i love those uh vigo in those movies he's awesome damn she's blowing my mind i can't believe it first like that oh man that her last letter i hope she has more intel on Stu, on this guy for her next time she writes i mean she doesn't have to i don't want her to feel like only write back if you've got more juice on townsend but so that's that's so that's pretty cool okay so we have to play a game so the game is this is a new game for both of you we have a game called Let's. We don't have. It doesn't have a name. I don't know what I said called. Let's put this Charlie's character into the big film release of the weekend, which next weekend when this comes out will be Jurassic Park: Fallen Kingdom, which I think is a great mashup for a superhero movie. So Dan, Chris, and Mike, and myself, can you think of a way to put this Charlie's character into the world of the new Jurassic World? Or, if this character doesn't fit, you can just put Charlize the actress into the movie in any way. Chris or Dan, I will let you guys fight it out who goes first. No wrong answers, all just creativity, encouraging creativity. How would you put either this Charlize character or just Charlize Theron 
into a Jurassic World movie. Well, considering uh, the direction the Jurassic Park movies have gone into, uh, I feel like I would not be less interested in seeing Jurassic World 2 where Charlize plays a velociraptor. (laughs) Oh my god, yes please. (laughs) That might make me want to see it more. Which makes me kind of sad because I, you know, Jurassic Park, the original was like the first big movie of my life. My grandmother took me to see that and I love that movie with everything inside of me. But the direction these movies have gone into has depressed me so much that I think Charlize playing a dinosaur would only make me more interested. Behind the scenes, while we're recording this, I have Annihilation on on mute because this movie's beautiful to look at. Not really specific spoilers for Annihilation, but in Annihilation, the shimmer sort of combines DNA in weird ways. And now all I can think of is a, a velociraptor or a dinosaur that just looks like a dinosaur, and then it opens its mouth, and it's just Charlie Theron's <laughs> normal voice. And I cannot get that idea out of my head, and it is an absolute delight. So thank you for that, Dan. I love it. You're welcome. That sounds very close to what they're getting at in Jurassic Park 3. My third time's a charm episode will be out next month on that they explore the world of talking raptors in that movie mm, <laughs> they sure do alan grant wakes up from a dream by turning over in his in the airplane to see a raptor in the seat next to him and he goes alan hey alan <laughs> like wake up alan <laughs> so it would be amazing to have charlie's voice come out of one of those dinosaurs would she do the mocap too no. i would insist on that <laughs> I, I, was, I was i was even i what initially popped into my head was not motion capture but charlie's in prosthetic nice you know go go back to old school jurassic park and use you know prosthetics and, and makeup and and maybe animatronics i would just personally direct you to my deviant art page uh deviantart.chrispodcast.com <laughs> slash charlie's theron riding a stegosaurus just so many different drawings of that. I will direct you to my Tumblr, which is Charlie Theron writing a stegosaurus.tumblr.com, which just collects all of your deviant art artwork and just claims well, it as do my I have own. to mention my Instagram, which you know, which is at Charlie Theron writing a stegosaurus. Do I need to mention my Pornhub account. No, okay, let's just. Chris, speaking of Pornhub, how would you put Charlie Theron into Jurassic World? Obviously, the queen of the dinosaurs, like just riding, just riding them, just being like, <laughs> I'm riding T Rex. You, your dumbass, Chris Pratt, who's a really boring, uninteresting character. You've got one raptor. I've got a T-Rex and also that weird like alligator shark thing from the last Jurassic movie that no one remembers. Uh, like she's just the queen of the dinosaurs because why not? Because she's a superhero, Charlize Theron, who's a god. Why wouldn't she be queen of the dinosaurs? Chris, my girlfriend and I are about to sign uh, a lease on an apartment and I may need you to come over to paint a mural on one of yeah. those walls. <laughs> no, no problem. You just let me know which movie you'd like Charlize from. Because you're, you're speaking my language. Charlize on a dinosaur. It's perfect. Yeah. Which Charlize and which dinosaur? Like, I have uh, I have Furiosa riding uh, a compi, but like a really big compi, so it just looks like a T-Rex anyway. But it's like, it's on my bedroom wall and it's awesome. So you just let me know. I'm there. <laughs> Mike, how would you put Charlize Theron into the world of Jurassic World? I mean, these, it's, it's just, this is hard. This is this is hard competition tonight. These are good answers. But, I also uh, want I also want to point out while while you're saying that that I knew what this was six hours ago and I put zero forethought into it. And the closer we are, I still have no idea. So I am yeah. hoping that something you say inspires me. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean I've been sweating bullets as they've been talking <laughs> too, but I wrote a couple of notes because. Um, I'm sort of going in a similar... Maybe I'm kind of combining those two directions. So, like, okay, they find a piece of amber with the mosquito in it, and they extract the DNA, but when they clone it, it's Charlize, a person, and she's, like, a cave lady 
from Ooh. prehistoric times. Ooh. She gets loose in the park. And, I mean, it's that she's not the queen of the dinosaurs or anything, um, and she's not a dinosaur herself, but she is sort of like this extra this extra thing that they have to deal with now. And it's like, uh oh, we're not just cloning dinosaurs now, but we've we've got cavemen and cave ladies and all kinds of things like running around Jurassic Park. So maybe they got to change the name from Jurassic Park. I don't know at the end of that one. Polly Shore can feed her her first icy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is a little Encino Munchy man. Munching on some grinded. Me, yeah, they could wheeze the juice. Yeah. Possibly what could be a side effect is maybe because she's been like cloned from Ember, she has all of her powers. Like she was born with those powers. So then that could be her from Hancock. Like that's how she could. Ooh. She could sort of fit in. So she's like this prehistoric superhero running around Jurassic World. <laughs> you know what, Mike? We don't do the uh, combined Charlie's Worlds anymore because Chris and Lindsay Gibb shat all over that game so brutally <laughs> that it broke our spirits and we abandoned it. It was but so fun. But up until this movie, the only one that was sort of really outside of space and time was Eon Flux. And now this one is like, we could go anywhere with this. Like, I sort yeah. of, you know, I don't want to bring that game back, but we have another out creative outlet to get basically anywhere in time hmm. with this movie, so that's cool. Agreed. Yeah, we could start rotating them towards the end, the games maybe, or something, or having <laughs> a grab bag. What I'm thinking is, and I mean, we haven't really prepped this, and this is definitely an off-air conversation, but I feel like this game is easier when it's summer blockbuster season, because pretty much every week there's, like, a major franchise movie. When we get to weeks where, like, the big movie is, like, just some movie that, like, we're excited, like, say Hereditary was, like, the big movie that, like, I don't know anything about, like, I know I really want to see it, I don't know how to put her in that world, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I feel like as long as we have blockbuster movies to put her in, we should continue to do that because I like this weird sort of fun game. How do you put Atomic Blonde into Mamma Mia 2? <laughs> oh, man. Here we go again. <laughs> I can't wait to find yeah. out. <laughs> okay, so I don't have a specific idea what I do have an idea about is that she is somehow related to Ellie Settler. That she and maybe she's Laura Dern's sister. Oh, okay. And apparently, I'm reading Ellie Settler's Wikia, JurassicPark.Wikia.com, and apparently Laura Dern might be in the new movie in some facet. I'm gonna say she comes back to Jurassic World and something goes wrong, and no they kidding. need to call in no. Charlize. <laughs> I know that. I know that. I know that. Like <laughs> the logline of Jurassic Park is like shit always goes wrong, <laughs> and we're bad at things. But something goes wrong here, and Chris Pratt is like, we need to call in her family. He calls in Charlize, who is dressed just like Ellie from the first movie, with those cargo shorts, uh, sort of a little bit like Mighty Joe Young, and she's got to help Chris Pratt team up with Chris Pratt to find out what happened to Ellie. What if instead of being related to Ellie, she's Lex grown up? Oh my god, I was gonna say the same thing! Yes! Because it would we- it, it would be weird for Ellie's sister to also have some sort of job within dinosaurs. Dinosaur expertise. Yeah, whereas Lex, you know, her grandfather created Jurassic Park. She, after a traumatizing event, might want to learn more. You know, I could totally see that. That would be cool. I like that too. What if Chris Pratt and uh, who is who's in the movie? Is it Bryce Dallas Howard? Zero Dark Thirty. Is, oh, it's the other. Okay, Bryce. I never know. I I really do mix them up. Like it's not just a meme. I really don't know the difference between Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard. Well, Jessica Chastain's an amazing actress, and Bryce Dallas Howard's not as good. She's Lady in the Water, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Now, Jessica Chastain is Molly from Molly's Game, the titular Molly. So what if they're like stuck in so- in something and they they need to open something up via computer? Chris Pratt's like, I only know one person who could do this remotely and he takes out like a satellite phone and he calls and it, it's her it's, it's who you said dan and she's just like just cuts to charlize theron and she's like unix i know this <laughs> 
Okay, Chris, moment of truth. Do you like this game? Um, sure. I mean, I don't know. I know that you <laughs> hate joy in no. general. He likes this game because he just, he's been, he participated in your answer. Yeah. It's so. certainly <laughs> easier than the other one. That one, who knows? Because you're leaving it up to fate which movies are in. This one just feels like unfortunate improv where you're like, I need a movie <laughs> and I need a thing. And someone's like, Jurassic Park, that. Charlize Theron. And <laughs> the improv person's just like, I don't fucking know. We're in the basement of a bar. I guess I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> I do feel like Unfortunate Improv has to be the name of something. Make it this name. I mean, <laughs> the name of this game. It's time for Unfortunate that Improv. That is actually pretty Improv good. Unfortunate Improv is the actual name of Improv Everywhere. I wonder... Hold on. I want to Google Unfortunate <laughs> yes. Improv. There was a YouTube series. Of course there was. <laughs> the final segment on the show is... The Watch the Throne Awards, perhaps the Golden Wallpaper, perhaps the Golden Teeth. Golden Corn, maybe. You never know. Perhaps the Golden Corn. The best, the worst, everything about this movie. Not best film, not worst film. Definitely most wildly inconsistent tone. Mm. I can't believe we have that category, but... Oh, we have have five deep in that category. We have 15 minutes, Hancock, Head in the Clouds, Reindeer Games, Cider House Rules. Wow. That is a tough call. That's Holy a wild Is category. this, do you guys think, Chris, this is actually something you are, yeah, this is something you brought up earlier, Chris. Is this a best of the worst, most fun, bad film? You're saying no, right? Like, it's sort of the, the worst of the best. Yeah, this is like a, in my mind, this is a good movie that's bad instead of a bad movie that's good, uh, which is okay. significantly more rare but also significantly more heartbreaking. Right. I feel a, a bigger sense of disappointment than I do anything. Yeah, I feel that. Is this... I want to nominate for this unless somebody can really talk me out of it. I kind of want to nominate this for most badass role. She is a god. I don't think it has any chance of winning, but I don't hate it. You know, it's just an honor to be nominated, right? So I, I think <laughs> I think it's a real possibility. Like, I think she's really good. Like, I think she has a really good couple of, like, freak-out moments in this movie. So then the question is, should she also be nominated for the next category, Most Wasted Charlize Performance? Yes. That I would stand for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to suggest, like, Most Arbitrary use of Charlize Theron because that character could literally be played by anybody but it doesn't require her ability yeah that's just another sad category I'm sad about is that (laughs) she's just wasted so much like she's there and they're just not doing anything with it and Dan had the call of the night I think when they're like she should have revealed to be the bad guy like the mastermind masterminding something or other or just or just do all of her stuff a lot earlier weave her in a lot better when we started getting together and and figuring out when we were going to record I I knew I had to rewatch the movie because I hadn't seen it since college you know like I think I blind purchased the DVD when I was in college and I watched it once and I had to dig it out this past week from a box of movies that I'm trying to get rid of. <laughs> oh, if you're looking for more, Mike's got a box of Ben that you might be able to have. You have a whole of Ben Affleck's entire career in a box oh. if you want. <laughs> Jeez. But I was, I was talking to my girlfriend about it before I watched it, and I was like, I'm trying to remember what goes on in this movie. Is I think Charlize is the villain, because I remembered the fight, but I didn't remember anything else. I just remembered, I think she's the villain, or is maybe Jason Bateman the villain? I know it goes into some weird territory. And then I watched it, and it was so much less interesting than I remembered. I remember, I don't know why, I saw this in theaters for sure, so I know why, because I love Will Smith, that like up until Nicolas Cage, like if you had to ask me like who my favorite actor was, probably would have said Will Smith like I still in spite of his Scientology and all his craziness now I still think he's like 
incredibly charming, mm-hmm. a great actor. Raptor, you know, we love the Raptor oh, yeah. here, which he's definitely getting nominated right. for Raptor, for sure. Absolutely. He's going to win. I mean, come on. I remember, for some reason, like six or seven years ago, just watching this movie again. Like, not even on TV, putting the Blu-ray in my Xbox or whatever and watching it. And I was like, why am I doing Like, retroactively, like, why did I do that? Like, <laughs> just for fun? I mean, I put it on one day without knowing what I was doing, too, about ten years ago. I mean, that seems to be the thing about this movie. Like, everybody who saw it just kind of, like, was in a trance and was, like, watching Will Smith pressing play. But that's strange, because I had the same experience. Like, I just rented this, popped it in, and, like, I was like, all right, well, that was that. Like, I didn't really affect me too much but I do love Will Smith I will say that and so I was just glad to see him at this point not being like Mr. Sunshine all the time like he was and actually not being bagger fans you guys are in a an elite category with Akiva Goldsman who also loves Will Smith and loves putting him in movies that he absolutely does not belong in well he be- he firmly belongs in this one so well, I, I agree with the other movies but this one he belongs in Akiva Goldman loves putting Will Smith in movies that are just tonally incorrect with Will Smith and Peter Berg loves movies with Mark Wahlberg, that like someone who gets really mad about kneeling during the national anthem. (laughs) (laughs) Although, to be fair, Deepwater Horizon is great, and Patriot's Day Too Soon is also pretty great. And I'd just like to say, I actually quite enjoy Peter Berg, the uh, 80s, 90s actor version. I actually think he's like a pretty, pretty good actor at times. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, he's debatable as a director. I think he's got some strong films and some weak films, but I, I always like them. Like, he's in Shocker, and that movie's hilarious. I actually, you, you reminded me when you're talking about Will Smith, there's one line that I really, really like in this movie. It's I think it's after he crashes the train, and the woman's like, I can smell the liquor coming off. He's like, yeah, because I've been drinking, bitch. Like, he's just <laughs> so aggressive to the world and just such an asshole. But the way he delivers it is so funny. And I think it's partially, like, that's so against type for him. Although he's also kind of an asshole in the Bad Boys movies or whatever. But it just doesn't feel like him, which just makes me like it even more. Okay, well, I'm just going to claim this as a hypothetical, that if you do Smith Club next, I'm coming on for Winter's Tale. The, another oh, Goldsman where he plays the devil? Yes. Winter's Tale, once a month forever? No, Realistically, <laughs> we won't do that, but we could do a lap of pit stops for Too Fast, Too Forever, just Will Smith movies, in which case definitely doing Winter's Tale, because I think if Joe 2 has not seen that movie, Joe 2 will love that movie. That movie is special as hell. It's so weird because, like, you know, Will, I love Will Smith as an actor, and, like, I think Mission Impossible is coming out. I saw that trailer at for like the first time at the movies last weekend and I love Tom Cruise I was like I'm starting to wonder if like Scientology isn't helpful like for acting does it work <laughs> for you for acting like if you like I don't know I'm not gonna explore that Elizabeth Moss is killing it that's what I'm saying like oh you're saying maybe it's a good thing yeah no that's what I'm saying like maybe it's a good thing for acting like it yeah. improves your acting somehow but it just destroys everything else about you. Because what's his face? The guy who wrote Crash, we just talked about, he was a, he was a Scientologist, and he won multiple mm-hmm. Academy Awards when he was a Scientologist. Yeah, and then he went clear, and he still yeah. made some good work, so I don't know. But that, who knows? It's, or maybe it's just a coincidence. Do you want to nominate this for most sexist film? It's not overtly sexist, but I think it's Ooh, insidiously yeah. sexist, in that there's mm. only one woman, and she's given nothing to do. I'm going to say no for one moment. The moment when Hancock asks the female officer 
if it's okay to put his hands on her. Dude, I said he's he's ready for the Me Too era. I mean, that, Iron Man doesn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like that is very ahead of its time. So like yeah. I feel like with the inclusion of that, it it kind of saved itself a yeah. little bit. Don't call me crazy is a very good line. Yes. Call no no it's it's I'm sorry it's call me crazy ah. one more time. I apologize. Sorry, Charlize. I would not put it on there. It, like, spectacularly fails the Bechdel test. But that's, you know, it's kind of a baseline thing. But I think that she... I feel like when she is able to be the goddess that her character is supposed to be and not just, like... She she does flip to a damsel in distress, like, literally dying because of a man very quickly after that. Oh, it's, just, it's just, Like, half of this movie, I would say yes. And half of it... <laughs> The, the half that, like, was clearly dictated by test audiences, yes. The half that was written by Vince Gilligan, no. Well, so also, the reason I'm going I'm to lean toward no is because the other movies that are up in this category are far more sexist than it. So not saying that this yeah. movie isn't, but it's just not as sexist. So I would imagine that. that is the case in this in this adventure. Yeah, and there's another thing. Uh, she gets shot in this movie. She's been shot in several films before. But what I found interesting, I didn't notice last time, is that she jumps in front of Will Smith to take his bullet. So, like, yep. that's kind of interesting that she risks her life for him. Do we want to nominate, I'm not sure if this counts or not, Best Character Transformation, Human to God? It's not really a transformation on screen, but it's a transformation in perception. Um... Hmm. If you're not sure, we'll we'll say no. I think it's a bit of a stretch. Here's a question: Are we supposed to believe? And by casting uh, Jason Bateman, I guess this is potentially accurate. Are we supposed to believe that she's never fucked before? Because Will Smith is shooting <laughs> fucking rounds through his ceiling. We're gonna say that she's not like squeezing off his his donger or something like that. <laughs> she's got the world's strongest kegels. Does she not get to have superhero and sex as well? Like, come on. Actually, I take it back. Sexist. I think that's why cutting that uh, orgasm scene out of the movie was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you yeah. don't have to ask that question. Yeah, good Well, point. there was in... I don't think it's canon, but there was definitely talk about how Superman couldn't have sex with, you know, Lois Lane because she would... The, the sperm would go through her body, right? Like, it would, it would mm-hmm. kill but, her. But in the new movie, they have bathtub sex, and that's fine. Well, she has a kid. They have kids in in Superman Returns. That's true. Kate right, Bosworth. Kate. Yeah. All right, so just TBD on the whole super sperm. <laughs> Vince Gilligan, call me. Let me know what you were thinking when you created the super sex scene, okay? I, I, I gotta yeah. know. I'm curious. Best outfit slash wardrobe, I'm gonna say no. Yeah, she just shows up in a business suit to fight. Yeah. Like, what was that about? Like, I, I would, I was so, so hoping she'd have like a, like a costume with a cape or something. Although, aggressively deep cleavage in that outfit. I don't know if you mm-hmm. caught that, mm-hmm. but it was like, she was, you know, sort of in mom gear for the rest of the movie, and then here, just like, oh, I'm a superhero now, here's all of my boobs. Yeah, I take it back. Let's add this to sexist. Cool. Because <laughs> she also, like, they just, they, they show her getting out of the car in, like, high heels for no reason, and then she just, yeah, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> Insidiously sexist, as I'm saying. And, like, what struck me as odd about this movie, and I don't mean to keep criticizing it, but as soon as we, re- we as an audience realize she is superpowered, it's like she immediately cares about keeping a low profile, but also she's flying around the city. You know, like, she's doing nothing to hide the fact that she can fly and have superpowers, but at the same time, don't tell my husband. <laughs> yeah, I never really understood why she was hiding anyway. Like, why wouldn't she just also be, like, a superhero? There's so many more questions than answers. But, but yeah, <laughs> that, but that, but that, 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 does, that does extend to her wardrobe, because she does start dressing noticeably sexier when she's outed as a superhero. So now, 
two questions, and this could go either way. Is her relationship with Will Smith or Jason Bateman worthy of best or worst love story? I think their relationship um, is genuine, and I think that has a lot to do with the actor's chemistry. Who, her and Bateman? Yes. I bought their relationship, even though it wasn't the particularly well written also it's cute at the end when he's asking her about like famous people in history yes it's weird like that is a whole other aspect i wish they had more time to explore because the relationship dynamics in this movie are very complex you know like not only is will smith and charlie's brother sister husband wife but charlie's is still technically married to will smith when she's married to jason bateman she's like got two husbands it's like my two dads situation so i wish the movie cared to explore that a little deeper in a lot of ways but i'm, I'm glad that there's like this idea there that oh it doesn't just have to be like husband and wife or one wife and one husband kind of, you know what i'm saying it's trying to say something about different types of families and step families and that kind of thing so I, I give it credit for effort I don't want to split the vote between the clearly superior Bateman Theron relationship <laughs> is there a death in this movie worth nominating for best non-Charlie's death is there a death in this movie a lot of people die in this movie He Will Smith throws multiple people out of windows I'm going to say no, but I just want to ask the question. I don't think so. I kind of want to vote for the people who got hit by the giant whale. (laughs) (laughs) Just because no one could have survived that, I don't think, but maybe. Okay, best non-Charlie's death, sailors killed by whale, Hancock. (laughs) Uh, Best fight, do we want to nominate Charlize versus Will Smith as superheroes? I think that's another one, like kind of what we were saying before. If that movie had come out when like we were in a world where gods were fighting in cities versus just X-Men and Spider-Mens and Blades, then I think it would have been better, but it's kind of weak overall. I think for me, what threw me off was her extra powers. Like, I wasn't clear if she was causing the tornadoes and all that kind of thing, but I I would nominate it because I l- just love a good CGI superhero throwdown, even if it's, yep. like, sloppy. Like, I, I don't know. I always just... There's something about those moments in a superhero movie where the computers take over and, <laughs> and you just sort of have to sit back and see, you know, if if it's uh, good or bad. And in this case, I, it's... I've, to me, it's passable. Like, it's mostly down the middle. I think for its time, it's good. But for now, for you know, after seeing Infinity War, where everything is just like super lifelike and it's you know no seams or anything, like I would say yes, though I'd like to nominate it. I mean, it's not going to beat Atomic Blonde or you know whatever, but no, but I think it, I think it does deserve a nomination. In, instead Me of too. a superhero yeah. like big fight, can I nominate Will Smith smashing kitchen appliances over her head? Oh, oh. Hancock versus Mary in kitchen, <laughs> in the kitchen, or in sky. <laughs> that might be my favorite scene after the reveal that she's been superpowered is him like poking her with stuff and and the pots and pans that that played really well for me like that's a moment where the comedy didn't feel forced it just felt like will smith i guess i don't know it was like a weird little men in black moment or something her rolling her eyes as a uh, baking roller or whatever those things are called gets smashed over her head while jason bateman's in the next room is that actually got a genuine laugh out of me best line i'm gonna write down call me crazy one more time Do we want to nominate Move Bitch for get for best song? Just kidding. <laughs> it is funny though. I like that as his Hancock's like theme song. Yeah. Like when he first takes off, like because you gotta move and get out of the way of him. Yes, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know why I didn't think of it the first time I watched it. But like the big red flag should have been that that song was censored in the movie. Oh, it's <laughs> is it? It wasn't. What, not in the, not in the extended cut. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Because in... I watched the theatrical cut and they they censor out. 
bitch. It just says. Oh, because I think that's just the radio edit. You know, that's like the PG thirteen yeah. cut. Like, you know, it's like the black eyes peas. You know, let's get it started. Still, but if there was if there was one thing that should have told me right out, right out front that this movie was like not the movie oh, it should have been. Punches. It's yes, exactly right. Buy the unrated DVD of Hancock. You get the full version of Ludacris's move, bitch, and Will Smith coming flechette rounds through his ceiling. I'm gonna nominate Will Smith for best male actor slash role as well as best musician turned actor. He's now nominated in that category twice, Mike, for both Bagger Vance. Damn. And Hancock. Anybody else, either best or worst actor or actress? I mean, there's no women in this movie, so best or worst actor? I don't think Jason Bateman's in it enough to nominate him here. I just don't think he's doing enough. Also that. Uh, I would suggest nominating uh, Eddie Marsan as the worst villain solely yeah. solely because his accent was all over the place. Okay, where else do I know him from? Because he looks extremely familiar. He looks like a emaciated Peter Stormare, but I know it's not him. He's in The World's End. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Wait, I knew him from one other show. He was on a show on like Showtime or something. Yes, he was. Uh, and he's, he's, he's a pretty big British... I want to say he was in Sherlock as well. Or, uh, he's Sherlock also Holmes. he's in Deadpool 2, apparently. He's in V for Vendetta, oh, yeah. Atomic Blonde, Sherlock Holmes, Gangs in New York, MI3. He's in that James and the Giant... Oh, no, wow. Giant Peach. He's in the uh, the Giant Hunter or whatever with oh, Ewan McGregor. The, the BFG and, uh, or whatever. So he will come back in Atomic Blonde. He will come back in Snow White and the Huntsman. He will oh, I think return he plays a dwarf or something in that. On yeah. Smith Club to <laughs> Concussion. World's End was definitely where I knew him from. He was in MI3 with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's also in God's Pocket with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He was in Me and Orson Welles, Mike, with Zeph. You were on that episode. Oh, so wow. he has crossed over a lot into what we do in his 78 films. So, yeah. cool. And I like him a lot. But this movie, just not in this. He was just phoning it in. The accent again was all over the place. I couldn't tell if he was from the south or from Europe or or what. Yeah, I would nominate him worst worst actor. Anything else about this movie, good or bad, that you would nominate? I think we sort of cover most of the ground, but just to, to throw it I out mean, there. Uh, congratulations to Hancock for winning the worst French joke in the history of films that Chris has ever seen. But other than that, uh, no, I'd, I'd like to. <laughs> Move on from this film, even though it wasn't the worst thing I've seen. It uh, certainly was average. Certainly yeah. wasn't the best. It's a it's a solid five. I gave it a two and a half on Letterboxd. So thank you both for being on. Chris, you will be on again for our biggest episode of the podcast. You will be back on for Mad Max Fury Road. Dan will be back on in a few episodes for another one of the biggest movies. He will be on alone for Young Adult, which I am very excited to see again. So thank you both for being on here and thank you both for coming back soon and we will look forward to having you back soon. I can't wait. I'm gonna ride shiny and chrome the rest of the podcast. <laughs> see you in Valhalla. <laughs> for all things Watch a Throne, including us riding shiny and chrome into Valhalla, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter or Instagram email us watch at cageclub.me let us know what you think let us know what you think of the movie of the podcast of the games of Chris's dulcet tones whatever you want to say email us watch at cageclub.me I'm Joey Lewandowski and I'm Mike Mintz and that was Dan Colon and Chris Mattiello and we'll see you next time on Watch the Throne. 